This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Leonard Griffin, or Leonard Griffith is actually his name, tells about a woman who said to a minister, we've had nothing but tragedy in our home. Mother died of cancer, and you know how she suffered. Now the doctors have told my sister that she has less than a year to live. Preacher, we've always been religious people, but how can we believe in God anymore with all this? Lofton Hudson tells about a wounded soldier whose legs had been amputated. He awakened from surgery to discover that both of his legs were gone. He looked at the medical attendant and he said, it's just like God to do that to me. Neither of these comments or feelings is really unusual. Both of these people mention God in connection with suffering and pain. The woman seemed surprised. The soldier implied that He expected no better from God. It's rather interesting that pain usually is connected with God in some way, according to the thinking of most of us. One of the underlying assumptions present in both that woman and the soldier is that a good God ought to spare us from pain and suffering. And yet, in our everyday experience, we so often find that God does not come to our rescue and keeping us away from all suffering and pain. Realizing that this is the way things do happen to us, there are two conclusions people sometimes make. First, there's no God, or if there is a God, then he's not a God of love. Those of us who do believe that there is a God, and that he truly is a God of love, have a real dilemma at this point. If we get right down to brass tacks, we might conclude either God cannot stop the pain or suffering or God will not stop these things. Dr. Elton Trueblood points out that the problem of pain and suffering should be of real concern only to a person who assumes that God is good. These are Trueblood's words. To the one who does not believe that the world is ruled by a loving mind, The existence of pain is not the least surprising. There's no reason why he should expect anything else. If there were no God, we might be perplexed, but the presence of evil in this world would be in no way alarming. Only when faith is intense and urgent does the problem arise in a really demanding fashion. So perhaps we should begin this morning by admitting the fact that we do approach this problem of how can we believe in a loving God and a world of suffering from the standpoint of faith. Yes, we do believe that there is a God, and we believe that He is good. Now, these things being true, therefore, we come to have on our hands the problem of our suffering. Down throughout history, there have been several attempts to solve the problem of suffering. One way has been to say that pain and suffering are only illusions. People who feel this feel this way 
to be true would, uh, would say that suffering is only in the mind, not really actual truth. Those who follow the teachings of Christian science represent the largest group who hold the view that pain is only an illusion. But the Bible clearly teaches that suffering and evil are real. Our observation and experience also convinces us of this truth. I remember somebody humorously wrote a little limerick which speaks to this situation. It goes like this. There was a faith healer of deal who said, although pain isn't real, when I sit on a pen and it punctures my skin, I dislike what I think that I feel. <laughs> no one can deny the terrible reality and intensity of suffering in a, in a hospital situation. Many of you know I was chaplain in a hospital for 10 years. Let me give you some examples. Here's a woman in a, uh, who's dying cell by cell second by second in the slow torture of cancer. Or here's a deformed child born into a lifetime of abnormality, suffering. Or here is a father who sits helplessly while his daughter fights a hopeless battle with a terminal illness. Or here's a little child who is orphaned and crippled by an automobile accident. Another example is a freak storm which robs a man of his house and some of the members of his family. In another setting, not from the hospital, but here's a missionary who's killed by a bunch of wild acting people who could have been objects of the love of God through this missionary. Now when you're willing to multiply these kinds of things by the thousands you'll see that the kind of world we live in every day is like this. Yes, suffering is real. And just thinking that it is all in the mind does not erase the reality of it. There's a second proposed solution to the problem of suffering, and this too, I think, is just as foolish an answer as the first. This says, pain and suffering are always God's punishment for sin. You remember the book of Job in the Old Testament? If it doesn't do anything else, the book of Job should destroy the old idea that all suffering is a direct result of sin. Sadly, however, there are many people today who have not moved beyond the ideas that were held by Job's comforters, they were called. They were not very comforting, of course. <coughs> they still think of suffering as punishment for sin. When trouble comes, aren't there many people whose first response is still, what have I done to deserve this? Any careful reader of the Bible will learn that God does not work this way. The Bible teaches us that sin and humanity is a general factor in the fact that suffering is in this world. Secondly, sin is sometimes a, casual, a causal factor in personal pain and suffering. Sometimes we suffer because of something we've done. And third, we cannot always find a direct relationship between suffering and sin. We can find support for this truth by looking at the book of Job or by hearing what Jesus had to say when they brought to him a man who was born blind. They asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man 
or his parents that he was born blind. You can read all that in John chapter 9. And there are also other biblical references which point to this truth that we cannot always draw a direct connection between our suffering and sin. Somebody has said it very clearly. Sin always brings suffering. But all suffering is not the direct result of sin. Let me mention a third answer to this problem, which sometimes we hear. This too, I think we need to reject as being wrong. This third idea is God is directly responsible for everything that happens. As we read the pages of the Old Testament, we can easily get the feeling that the early Hebrews attributed all things that happened directly to the work of God. Since those early Old Testament days, we ought to know a lot more about God because Jesus has come to show us the Father. And yet there's so many today who seem to know no more about the Father than they did in days before Jesus came. Many people still think of God as directly responsible for everything that happens, both good and evil. For example, a person may refer to a, a tragic accident and to the quiet death of an aged saint as being both the will of God. Many of you may be familiar with Leslie Weatherhead who says that we should not use that term, the will of God, so loosely. He says we ought to distinguish Divided up into three different areas. First, what God wants, that's his intentional will. Secondly, what God allows, that's his will under certain circumstances. And third, what God finally brings to pass, that's his ultimate will. Yes, God is almighty, but he has chosen to limit his might and his power in certain ways. God chose when he created mankind to make us free moral agents, free to choose right or wrong. And we find that freedom is not only one of our greatest blessings, but it's also that which has a potential of trouble. You see, when God made us so that we can make our own choices, He also allowed us to reap the harvest of our own choices. This then is a clue to the real problem of evil, which we do face in our world. God does still love us, and He always will. But He has chosen not to intervene every time trouble, suffering, and problems come our way. And so before we finish today, let's look at one truth that we can count on as we do assert that we can believe in a loving God, even in a world of suffering. And that truth I want to remind us of is God often brings good out of evil. Is God's highest purpose for us that we live in a pain-free existence? No, I think not. So often we find that pain and suffering are agents through which God works to bring out the very best in us. We know Romans 8.28 is still true. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, those who are the called according to his purpose. Notice Paul did not say here that God is directly responsible for all things. What he said was that in everything, God works for the good. 
Let me give you a few examples of some who have experienced this truth. Although many of people here today and some of you who are listening by podcast could share your own experience, you have proved over and over this is a truth of life. Dr. T.B. Maston writes these words. Dr. Maston was a professor in a seminary. Our older son, Tom Mack, was injured at birth. He has spent his life more than 40 years now in a wheelchair. He's far more seriously handicapped than most cerebral palsy. Every voluntary muscle in his body is affected. He cannot talk, walk, or sit alone. His mother or daddy has to do everything for him. And how did that father, Dr. Maston, react to this? Once again, his words. The presence of a handicapped child, he used the word handicapped those days, the presence of a handicapped child in the house, as well as suffering in general, can and will be used of God to deepen and enrich our lives if we react rightly to it. We are sure that our Heavenly Father has used our own experience to enable us to be more sympathetic with people who suffer and more helpful in our relations with them. We believe also that Tom Mack has been a real blessing in a personal way to many who have come to know him. In other words, our testimony is that life in some way compensates for whatever suffering overtakes us if we will react properly to it. Some of you may know the name John Claypool. He wrote a book called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler. This father pastor had the shock of learning that his little daughter had leukemia. He went through the pain of watching her suffer and then losing her to death. In his book, Claypool tells how he tried to find a way to respond to this loss. He tried first the road of unquestioning resignation. And then he tried the road of total intellectual understanding. But neither of these roads really helped him. And so he went down the third road, he said. That was the road of gratitude. This road did not answer all of his questions or doubts. But it was the only road that seemed to give him any satisfaction. Let me close by telling you another story, of, a true story, that happened by a lady by the name of Mrs. Wallace, Ms. William Wallace. This is an experience that happened to her some time ago. These are his, her words. I came into the doctor's office to get my three robust, hardy boys their regular shots before school started. They were romping up and down the hall. And I sat down in the doctor's waiting room. Across the room in the corner was a little girl with two crutches. One leg was in a brace, but she had a happy smile on her face. I had hardly taken my seat when she said to me, I'm going to walk without my crutches someday. The doctor told me that if I keep on working, I may be able to walk without my crutches, and I'm so happy I just can't wait. Mrs. Wallace answered, Bless your heart. I'm so glad for you. And just then the door to the inner office opened, and the doctor and a mother came out, followed by a little boy. Mrs. Wallace said, I looked at the mother, feeling very sorry for her, actually. And then when I looked down at that little boy, 
I saw that he had a badly deformed and withered hand. I thought, oh no, God, you didn't give one mother two of them. No, you couldn't do that, God. But the three of them left the doctor's office, all three laughing together. Immediately, this lady said to the doctor as she walked into his office, Doctor, a mother with two like that, what a shame. Poor woman, my heart just bleeds for her. But the doctor said, now, you just wait a minute. <coughs> I want you to sit down and listen to me. I've got something I want to tell you. One day, a little girl was on her way to the state hospital to visit her mother, who was mentally ill. A boy was on his way also there to visit his father. They met, fell in love with each other, and were married. Then they came to me and asked if there were any chance that, they, that their children might inherit the mental trouble that their parents had. I told him I didn't know a whole lot about that, but I didn't think they'd have anything to worry about. Anyway, when they went home, they thought it over. Later they came back to me and they said, Doctor, we want you to find us a little girl, and we want to adopt her. And the doctor's voice grew sort of husky as he said, Ms. Wallace, are you listening to me? He said, that young woman smiled at me and said, Doctor, we don't want you to find us a beautiful, lovely, healthy little girl. Find us one who has a handicap, one that nobody else wants. We know what handicaps are from our parents. We'd like to have a child with a handicap so we can give her a chance. The doctor then explained, I found the boy for them. They found the girl themselves. Now they'd come back to me asking me to help them find another child. How does anybody face pain, suffering, problems, hardships? I believe the answer is that the Christian can do it because we have a Savior who's gone the way of suffering before us. Later in that eighth chapter of Romans, which I referred earlier, we read, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The author of the hundredth Psalm did not know Jesus personally because he was on earth before God sent his son. But I have an idea that God surely put the thoughts in the heart of that psalmist thoughts which find their fulfillment even to this very day, thoughts that we can affirm even in a world of suffering. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Yes, Jesus gives meaning to those words, and we know that through Christ, we too, can do all things. Oh God, we sing a little chorus sometimes. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good to me. And Lord, you are good. Your goodness is present even in the midst of hard times that we all go through in one way or another. Help us, Lord, when we face those difficult days to remember that you're there behind it all and you're waiting to give us a blessing that we need if we trust in you and commit our way to your way. Thank you, Father, that we can affirm our love, our trust in you, and we can believe in a loving God, even in a world of suffering. 
This we pray in the name of the one who suffered for our sakes, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen.